Cool. We all, uh, ready to go? Ready to go. All right. What's up, everybody? How's it going? We are here uh, at Jam in the Van. This is episode four of Hollywood Tales. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy upcoming New Year. Yeah. Um, just a big shout out and a thanks to all of the people here at Jam in the Van that makes this podcast possible. Our creative director, Jack Higgins, which is, Jack he's sitting right over there, you can't see him, <laughs> but he's going to come on our pod- podcast soon and talk about his story and history here. Um, Jam in the Van's located here in West LA, 3384 Motor Avenue, right between Venice Boulevard and Pico. It's an awesome spot. They do comedy, live music. <clears throat> I talk about this every week. They have a, a converted, uh, renovated tour bus outside in their courtyard that's that was converted into a recording studio. So they have a lot of bands and musicians come in there um, and record live music. Check out their uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe. It's Jam in the Van on YouTube. You can also go to their website, jaminthevan.com. And um, I just want to thank Jack Higgins, Wolf Ramirez, who's not here with us. Uh, apparently, he got the Rona uh, for Christmas. That was his gift. Um, and the two Jakes, Jake uh, Kotler and Jake Trainer, who own and run the facility, and all the just wonderful staff that works here. So thank you guys. Thank you guys for having us. Appreciate episode it. four, Hollywood Tales. Our first episode, we had Tom Morello, rock legend, guitarist from Audio Slave, Rage Against the Machine. Then we had Anya Zova, very funny uh, Russian comedian from Miami. She was on episode two. Uh, episode three was uh, last week Peter Billingsley from A Christmas Story. He played mm-hmm. Ralphie in A Christmas Story. Um, and then today it's just us. We had Jen Sturger uh, booked, but then she got COVID. Everybody's getting the fucking the vid. Everybody got that Omnicron. Everyone got that Omnicron. Omicron. Um, but hope she gets better. Hope you get better, Jen, and feel better soon. We want you to come onto the podcast as soon as you're ready. So it's just me and Blake today. We're just going to riff, talk about uh, what we did on Christmas, um, talk about my Instagram getting hacked. Yeah. What the fuck is that? that? Yeah. <laughs> I woke up Christmas Eve morning. And, you know, you know, sometimes first thing you do is you go right to your phone, you check your social media. So I went right to my Instagram and there was a direct message from what I thought was an Instagram, like, <laughs> um, you know, like one of their staff and like one of their, you know, support group people saying, oh, um, your account is uh, is violating our community standards and you might have some copyright issues from some music you played or whatever. And if you don't click this link now, you'll, your account will be deleted in the next 48 hours forever. So I, my inst- I got nervous because I was like, oh, I've, I've built my Instagram page. You know, I started my Instagram page, I think, in 2015 or 14 it was. So, you know, it's, I've been building it for a while. I only have or had 13,200 plus followers. So when I clicked that button, I was fished, I was baited, and these guys hijacked my account. It's a whole new account. It's not Ahmed Comedy anymore. It's some weird crypto title. What was it again? Did you, do you have it on your... I don't even want to look at it. Um, anyway, I started getting all these messages from my friends. Hey, man, I think your account got hijacked because X, Y, and Z, and everybody was screenshotting what these people were sending my friends. They deleted all your all your pictures and just kept posting the same little gold Instagram logo. They deleted all my photos too? Yeah, it's just a mm. bunch of these gold uh look at that gold little Instagram thing. So no pictures at all. You obviously you unfollowed. 
yeah, I don't want to be a part of that. Sorry. So anyway, that I lo- I'm trying to get my page back, but it kind of doesn't make any sense now if they deleted all my pictures, right? I mean, I'm sure they're still out there in the cloud somewhere. Oh, or, man. You know? It's such a mess, the social media world. It's so fucking scary and fucked up how just one click of a button. And it's not like anybody died. No one got physically hurt. But emotionally, that hurt me. Did you... You didn't put your password or anything? You just clicked the link? I just clicked the link. And that allowed them to go into my you know, the portal of my Instagram page and they fucking took it over. They hijacked the shit out of it. Damn, that sucks. I was really, I know this sounds petty. I was very depressed. I still am depressed. I'd be depressed. I was really bummed out over that because I do a lot of, I mean, comics, you know, we, musicians, whatever. If you're in the entertainment world or just any world that you're trying to sell yourself on or to, you have to use social media. And Instagram for me was, I think the most, active and popular platform for me. I was on it a lot. I always post stories. I post all my shows, you know, upcoming shows on Instagram. I I talk to people all over the world. And so it really was a very violating feeling. I feel naked without my Instagram page. Yeah. Does that sound petty a little bit? No. Jack, is that petty to to think that? Like, they're, they're... I know, but there's like big problems happening in the world. I mean, you know, hunger, send, famine. You know, there's you didn't send like five hundred bucks to like a Jamaican prince or something, so that's cool. Well, no. So what happened was, so your account is linked. You know, you, you put your if you want, you could put your telephone number and email on there. So I did, and I had, and I have WhatsApp. If you don't know what WhatsApp is, it's an app that people use all over the world. It's just a way to communicate, send documents and pictures and what have you. And I talk to a lot of people on WhatsApp around the world because um, I'm international like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anyway, this person reached out to me on WhatsApp and said, I have your account. If you want me to unlock it and give it back to you, you have to pay me money. How much did they ask? They asked for 250 bucks. You, did you think about it? Fuck no. I'm not paying <laughs> you. You're not, you're not going to extort me for fucking money, you fuckface. Uh, really? You want 250 bucks so I can get... And, and so then, But then, like, who do I send the money to? Who is this person? It started freaking me out. Um, you and don't, then I you started, don't negotiate with terrorists. I don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> I don't negotiate with cyber terrorists. And this guy tried to cyber terrorize me. He didn't try to, he did. He took over my fucking IG page. And so it ruffled my feathers and it made me... You know... It's weird, like the psychological effect it had on me. <laughs> was it on Christmas or when? when yeah, did it was Chris, Christmas Eve. Damn. And when? then, and then I was, and then I went, I went up to my mom's house. My dad passed away. God rest his soul. My dad passed away um, on Christmas last year. So we all went up to my mom's house. So you know, we're all kind of celebrating and mourning my dad. You know, I don't, I can't post anything on Instagram because I don't have a page anymore. Yeah. Morning, your page. I'm mourning my page. I'm mourning my father. Uh, it's been a very heavy uh, weekend for me. Uh, you know, we're Muslim, so we don't celebrate Christmas. Never have. Um, there's no sign of Christmas in our house. No trees, no lights, no candy canes, nothing. We get together, but, you know, it's just, it's against the religion I was, and I'm not a practicing Muslim, as you can tell. Yeah, because you text me Merry Christmas. I text all my white friends. Merry well, I'm Christmas. Jewish, so get it right next time. Physically, you're white. Okay, well, look in the mirror. <laughs> uh, 
Uh. But anyway, that was my Christmas. Went to my dad's uh, gravesite, paid him a little visit, said hello, choked up a little bit. It was kind of a emotional experience. I hadn't been there since his funeral. So um, that was pretty much my my weekend. It was, you know, filled with mourning. <laughs> yeah, my, you got to see your mom, though. I, mean, good, I got right? to see my beautiful mother. She's just, she can't do any wrong in my eyes. My mom is just such a saint. And I love going to her house because it's quiet. She lives outside of the city, near the mountains. It's super quiet and just safe. And, you know, when you're at your mom's house, it's a very you know, safe feeling that yeah. you have. And so my one of my sisters cooked this traditional Egyptian dish called kushiri. It's rice, uh, like little macaroni, lentil beans, this red sauce, and it's just you mix it all together. It's really good. And I had two servings of it. And then around 5.30, I went into my dad's old bedroom, and I laid down, and I slept for 12 hours. I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, and my mom was like, are you okay? What's wrong with you? And I was like, I haven't slept in a year. <laughs> and that's a fact. Like, I haven't really had a proper night's sleep in over a year because I live in Venice Beach, and it's loud where I live, and there's a lot of people yelling and screaming, and you always hear the buses and police sirens and fire sirens, and there's always some sort of activity and, and noise happening, so... The one good thing that came out of that weekend was, this last weekend, was I got to sleep for 12 hours, so I feel rested. You look rested. You look Thanks, good. man. I appreciate that. What about you? How was your weekend? Um, you know, I got my mom out in Texas. She wasn't able to come down, so I just kind of hung out, put the fireplace on, hung out with my dog, made some good food. So let, let's talk about your, your mom. She's in Texas. That's where you were born and raised? Nope. I was born and raised Long Beach, Lakewood area. Oh, that's right. She... Um, Moved out there 2001 with my uh, stepdad, Jimmy Lee, mm -hmm. Texan. He was like, fuck California, we're out of here. Mm -hmm. And um, they've been out there ever since. He recently passed away, so I'm trying to bring her back to California. To California. Did she want to come back? She watches a lot of Fox News, so kind of not, mm -hmm. you know? But uh, Why? Does she think that <laughs> California is full of like... She's just like, I don't want to wear a mask everywhere. Right. And do, yeah, all that stuff. Because <laughs> Texas, Texas never got COVID. Well, she's kind of out in the country-ish, too, so right. she got so used to that. removed from yeah. all the city life. So. And um, so you, after you went to high school in Lakewood. Yeah, well, I went to high school, I yeah, in Lakewood, and then I got kicked out, and I went to continuation school in Bellflower. You got kicked out of high school in Lakewood? Yeah. For what? You never told me the story. Oh, uh, man, I was just a class clown, just messing around. Yeah, yeah but you, they had, you can't just be a class cl clown and get kicked out of an institution. You had to do, you had, had to have done something. I had like crazy. 40 referrals to the, to the principal's office, like the first three months of ninth grade. And they were like, what do you want to do? So they put me in this thing called Opportunities. And then I kind of just stopped coming to school. It was like this class full of like me and like a bunch of cholos, like Thumper and Bouncer and Prancer. I don't know. But what were you getting referrals for? Just like, fucking around in class, talking shit. I know, shit. but like, give me one example that, that got you a referral. Um, like, they would do that fucking popcorn reading shit, and I would just make shit up that wasn't in the book, and mm. I don't know. It, it wasn't good. I'd just be hollering at chicks in the back of the class. And <laughs> one time 15, a teacher hollering, threw a, hollering threw a fucking chicks. piece of chalk at my neck, you know. 
I was just getting on people's nerves, I guess. So yeah, I got kicked out to continuation school, and then that was cool because we only went to school from like twelve to three. So, and where was this school? Bellflower, Somerset. And who was in this school? Just fuck ups. Basically, yeah. There was a morning class, like eight to twelve, and then twelve to three. Were you friends with any of these fuck ups, or you just like stayed in your lane, did your thing, and left? No, we had formed a, a break dancing crew there. We yeah, it was cool. We loved it. That's where you found your identity. Was it the continuation? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I started going there, and then a couple friends were like, they heard how good it was, so they like purposely got kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) We used to smoke cigarettes in the bathroom. We used to ditch there. We'd be there for three hours, and we'd be like, nah, we can't handle this, and we would would ditch school. That's funny, man. High school, I loved high school. I wasn't a very good student. I I barely, barely graduated. I was like a, you know, C minus, D plus student. Mm -hmm. Um, I just didn't want to do any of the work. You know, um, I was using high school. You didn't want to click the link? I didn't want to click the the link. (laughs) Actually, back then, we didn't have links. That's true. I don't even think we had cell phones back then. But uh, when I was in high school, I I grew up in Riverside, California. I went to John W. North High School. It was very diverse. It was white, black, Mexican, some Asian. I was probably one of the few, like, Middle Eastern Muslims there. There was, like, two or three of us. Um, But by the time I was a senior... I was very influential in my high school. I knew where all the parties were. I was I played sports. I was part of like, you know, the theater. I did. I was in talent shows. Um, but I was always good at like organizing parties and like. <coughs> I was a producer back then. I didn't even realize you still are, I, was, yeah. <laughs> I was producing shit back in high school. <laughs> but um, so I was I was considered like one of the the, the go to seniors, right? Um, I was very popular. I was actually even voted most popular when I was a senior. I was voted most popular and most spirited in high school. Um, And so the student council, like the head of the student council, her name was Mrs. Knott. I'll never forget it. Her and the vice principal and another, uh, like, teacher or um, authority at the school called me into a meeting one afternoon and they said, hey, because um, we, we had an open campus, so at lunch, you can walk or drive off of campus to go have lunch somewhere. Yeah. And there was like a McDonald's or whatever that back then, Jack in the Box, Taco Bell, whatever. So we'd always leave campus to eat and then come back you know, before the bell rang. <clears throat> the problem was, this, the cafeteria started losing money because nobody was eating the food there. And so the school officials brought me in and said, hey, um, you know, we're trying to keep the kids on campus. And since you're very influential and popular, could you help us? I said, what do you mean? They said, can you make sure and stay on campus and get all your cool, popular friends to stay on campus with you? And start doing some lunchtime activities, like games and shit like that. And I was like, oh, well, the food's not that great. And they're like, yeah, we're working on the menu and give us some time and all that. I said, all right. I said, well, um, what do I get? They're like, what do you mean, what do you get? I said, what's in it for me? Remember, I'm like 16, 17 years old negotiating. I don't negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) So I go, what do I get? They're like, what do you mean? They said, we'll, we'll give you and your friends, you know, like a free lunch ticket. And I said, that's not good enough. And they said, well, what do you want? 
I said, I want to be able to leave class whenever I want. They're like, what? That's ridiculous. And I said, well, I'm not going to help you then. You guys asked me for help. Were you fucking Zach Morris or something? Bro, they were like, they were, they were baffled that I was like negotiating, literally being able to get up with no questions asked in any one of my classes and walk the fuck out of class with no pass, no authority telling me what to do, nothing. And I said, I'm not doing it. Unless I get to leave class whenever I want, I'm not doing it. Mind you, this was like halfway through my senior year. So we were about to leave, you know, the year was almost over. And it wasn't like I was missing much anyway. The, yeah. my, my senior year, toward the middle end of the year, it was basically like wrapping up the four years of high school, taking some exams. It wasn't like I needed to be physically in class. So they were like, absolutely not. I said, all right, well, then you don't, we don't have a deal. And they're like, no, 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 just hold on. And they started talking to each other, whispering, and they left the room for a second. They came back in. They said, fine. You can leave one of your classes once a day. Something like that. Yeah. So I remember being in class and just like, and I had teachers that I couldn't stand me, and I couldn't stand a lot of my teachers. And I would just go, Ugh grab my bags, get my books, and walk right the fuck out, and no questions asked. What would you do? I would, well, I had a truck back then, so I remember, like, I'd go out to the parking lot and, like, get in my truck and leave. I would just leave. Damn. Just go home, make, you know, make a sandwich. I lived really close. Or I would, um, we had this place at our school that was, there was, like, a hill at the, in the center of our um, campus where like all the popular kids would hang out at. So I would go sit up there and just wait for the bell to ring. I just didn't want to be in class and I didn't like my teachers much. And, you know, I can't believe they let me get away with that looking back on it. I mean, it was, you know, illegal <laughs> to just be able to leave school like that. But I was like you, I was a class clown. I'd get referrals all the time. I always got sent to the principal's office. I wasn't like a, a bad kid. I wasn't malicious. I just would always, like, I was always, always late. I was notoriously late. Yeah. I still am notoriously late. For sure. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, for some reason, and, and they say when you're late, it's a sign of arrogance. You know, I don't have to be there on time. I'll get, I, always, I used to always walk into class last. I used to, I would wait, make sure that the class would start before I walked in. I used to just hate, I'm not like that anymore. I, I am late sometimes, but I'm getting better at being on time. But I used to have this weird fear of getting someplace too early, if that makes any weird sense. I just didn't want to get to his place and then wait. Like, hurry up and then wait. But what? There was a, there's a football coach, Ohio State football coach, I forgot his name. Jim Trestle, was it? He, he, he used to always preach, you know, if, if you're if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're being disrespectful. Exactly. And so I don't like being disrespectful of people's time. So I've been trying to get better at that. But yeah, I was uh, a class clown. Yeah, I never was really into fighting or anything. But it was so bad that they got me like a work permit. They they thought I needed some extracurricular activities. So I wasn't on any sports. They were like, let's. How about they get you a job? So they got me a job at Arby's when I was like 15 on a work permit. So I would leave during school. Like I would skip the last period and go work at Arby's 
and my friends would come up there. And was that part? Would you get school credit for that? I think yeah, I got work. I don't remember what it was. It was like some type of elective credit. <laughs> that lasted for a while. I still worked there, but then I got kicked out anyway. I was like, hold on, you got kicked out of the continuation school too? No, that was before I got kicked out to continuation school. Oh, okay. They were trying everything. They said my pants were too baggy, and they like the counselor paid to have my my pants altered. I thought I was like a weird little cholo. I don't know what I was, but yeah. You were. You were. It was good times. You were trying to find your identity back then. I yeah, think I we all know. were. I moved like 400 times, so it was a little weird, but yeah. Fun times. Uh, thanks to Sierra Nevada for sponsoring Jam in the Van. By the way, we are doing a show here February 12th. So if you are watching, um, write it down, put it in your calendar, February 12th. And if you don't know this facility, it's an ex-rehab center. It's a really cool multiplex with different rooms and... There's an outdoor uh, like courtyard that seats about 300 people. There's an indoor showroom that seats about 150, Jack? Yeah. 150 people. Nice. There's a really cool green room upstairs with video games and ping pong and a bar. So it's a really, really cool spot. Go to jamminthevan.com. Check out what they have going on. They're, they're always hosting and producing comedy shows and musical events and all sort of cool stuff. Um, and then February 12th, uh, and you'll, you'll be on the show, right? Uh, sure, I would love to. I haven't uh, booked the show. We just kind of benchmarked it, and I'm going to work backwards. But I want to try to get some big-name headliners in here. I'm going to go into my Rolodex and reach out to a couple friends of mine that are a lot more famous than me that will uh, help me sell tickets. But um, <laughs> I love the fact that they've been so supportive and letting us do shows and uh, the podcast, and it's just been a fun, fun ride here. And we're only on episode four. So I'm excited to see how many episodes we can put in the bank in the next year. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. This is your your fourth podcast ever. Yeah, this is my first podcast. Fourth uh, fourth episode, but yeah. first first time ever being on a podcast mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever. Ever. And so how do you, do you feel like it's becoming a lot more free-flowing now, or do you still feel like a little apprehensive? It's a little different with the microphone, just, <laughs> you know, here and cameras here, and it's a lot of lights that people can't see, so mm-hmm. it's it's cool. So yeah, fun. there's a lot going on behind the cameras, people, but they put this nice couch in here, and they built this cool Hollywood Tales, and our podcast is called Hollywood Tales, because um, whoever comes on our, our podcast, uh, we talk about them, their careers, what's going on in their lives, what they're promoting, but then we ask them to tell their best Hollywood tale. Um, when we had Peter Billingsley on last week, the whole podcast was him telling his Hollywood tales. Yeah. I mean, he's the next child movie star. He was like the Macaulay Culkin. Grew up in time. Hollywood, yeah. Grew up in Hollywood. He was on the show Real People. He was in the movie A Christmas Story. He was the star of the movie. We played Ralphie. He was uh, on Who's the Boss, and he did a lot of guest starring roles. He had a very popular commercial running for Hershey's Chocolate Syrup, uh, where he played Messy Marvin. Um and then he transitioned into producing and directing, and he produced the first Iron Man movie and directed Couples Retreat with Vince Vaughn and was a producer on The Breakup. He produces a lot of Vince Vaughn movies. So that was cool to have him on because his, his episode was very insightful yeah. as an actor and a producer and a director. Um, where was, you know, the first episode we had Tom Morello, who's a musician, and to hear his um, approach to music and sort of where he landed as a musician was, you know, also interesting. So um, so that's 
pretty much the gist of our podcast. It's not political. You know, we don't really get off on you know topical rants. We keep it real free flowing. Not yet. yet. <laughs> we'll see. We might get a little angry by episode ten. <laughs> um. So Blake and I met in Huntington Beach. I used to uh, run and produce and book a show at a place called Sea Legs. It was an outdoor venue right on the sand in the Huntington Beach State Park. And you would come to the shows a lot. We started hanging out. And then we started another show uh, on Thursday nights at a place called Cruiser's Bar in Huntington Beach, a little small sports bar. Um, And then Blake and I had just been very cohesive, hanging out. Yeah. Kind of taking you under my wing a little bit, you know, showing you the ropes of my experience as a comic and definitely we have some uh, road dates coming up um i would say go to my instagram at ahmed comedy but they <laughs> fucking jack hijacked it those goddamn cyber terrorists uh, but um at ahmed comedy on twitter i still have that at ahmed comedy on twitter you can find me on facebook um i'm i have started a new instagram page it's ahmed ahmed comedy a-h-m-e-d a-h-m-e-d comedy I think I have 114 followers <laughs> so far. And I've posted a couple things here and there. It's going to take me a while to build that back up. Um, I think you'll get your account back. They'll they'll give it back. Yeah, but they took all the pictures down. they got to be in there somewhere. I don't know. I, mean, I, I want to get it back because We're I talking about the metaverse. Followers. The metaverse. This happened to the metaverse? Just you clicked? Be better, Instagram, with your security, please. Broke my guy's heart over here. 12,000 followers. And... No, 13. I lost a thousand followers. Thirteen thousand followers. I had thirteen thousand plus followers, and now I have like twelve point nine or something like that. But it's fine. It's just a fucking social media page. In the meantime, go to Ahmed Ahmed Comedy. Um, we have uh, a show at Supernova coming up on New Year's Eve. Um, a lot of funny comics on this show. Nick Swartzen is going to be on it. Uh, Doug Benson, I, I saw, was going to be on it. Um, Trevor Wallace, Vincent Oshana myself um so uh supernovacomedy.com if you've got nothing going on new year's eve i'm on the the early show i'm on the early show so it's nice you can come watch the show and then get out and bring in the new year wherever you want i don't think i'm going to stay there and bring in the new year i'm going to do my set and probably just bounce out um yeah and then we have some road dates coming up um january 14th 15th hyenas comedy club in dallas so check that out, Hyenas Comedy Club. Uh, I think it's Hyenas Comedy or Hyenas. What is it? Hyenascomedyclub.com. Just Google it. It comes up. Hyenas Comedy. Just Club. Just Google Hyenas Comedy Comedy Club in Dallas. We'll be there uh, doing four shows, January fourteenth and fifteenth, and then we go right to Florida. We're hitting Miami, Naples, uh, Key West, Boca Raton, and then back to Miami at the Comedy Inn. So. Um, just go to Twitter at Ahmed Comedy and you'll see all the dates I'll list. So that's going to be fun. We have some road dates fun. coming up in 2022. Yeah. And this will be the first time for you going on the road. First time. Super excited. Definitely for Dallas. Um, when I was in the Air Force, I was stationed in Texas. So I got a, a few funny Texas. Uh... So let's talk about that. People don't know that you were in the Air Force. So after continuation school, all right, so after, I was, after Arby's. <laughs> after Arby's, all that. How'd you end up in the Air Force? I had a few jobs. Um, didn't know what I was doing. In and out of community college. And my stepdad's like, 
You ain't gonna be shit unless you join the military. Jimmy Lee. Jimmy Lee. Right. What did he do for a living? He was actually a um, very successful uh, businessman. He had a roofing company, did mm. foam roofing. Um, had a little bit of an alcohol problem, so you know, you told didn't me mix he was with a, the business. He, you know, he drank a lot. But yeah, so he actually promised me a Dodge Viper. I never got that, but he said, "If you join the military, I'll get you a Dodge Viper." Why the Air Force? You could have joined. I took the test, and then I had some friends in the Marines and the Navy, and they were just like, don't do it, don't do it. Go to the Air Force. They're taken care of. One of my friends was, like, a, on the bottom of a ship for, like, three months out of a time, working six hours on, six hours off, six hours on. In the six, Navy or six, the yeah. Air Force? Yeah, so he, he told me that. He came home with acne all over his face. They called him Big Greasy, so I didn't want none what? of that. He was fucking dirty just on the bottom of a ship for months at a time well, yeah but they, you can't wash your face i don't know they were sleeping in racks like yeah yeah not would, not good i wouldn't want to do that so then i had another friend in the marines and he was just like no nah, just go in the air force trust me they probably knew like hey you're kind of a little bitch so just go that direction <laughs> you know bro well you might as well just join the fucking coast guard i was gonna <laughs> i was gonna join the coast guard they didn't want me in there so, so you joined the Air Force, and you were there for four years, and you're stationed where? I was scared of heights, first of all. So they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to be in a, a plane. Pilot, right. So I was a medic. So I went to uh, training. I went to Shepard Air Force Base, which is in Wichita Falls, Texas. Mm. Well, actually, I went to Lackland for boot camp and then up to Wichita Falls and then was there for medic training and then back to Lackland to do, like, on-the-job training. Mm. Then I was at March Air Force Base. Right, which is in Riverside, near my mom's house. Then I did a little time in San Diego at the hospital, Naval Medical Center, San Diego. So you never, you never, uh, you never would like what's the word? I'm I was never deployed, deployed, no, right, no. ever, nope. And then I, uh, I did some time in Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas for like a year, and that was uh, probably the funnest time of my life. So, so you get out of the Air Force, and you have. I, what is it, a GI Bill? Is that what they call it? Yeah. So I went to school. I was going to go to PA school. I was going to stay in the medical field since that's what I knew. And then um, I was in the reserves, and they offered to cross-train me to be a radiology technologist. So uh, free training, free school, and then that certification came out, you know, translated to the real world. So I took them up on that. I went and got my certification. Then I ended up, after that, getting advanced to CAT scan, and then I do interventional radiology. So it's a bunch of cool shit. It's not a big deal. Have you always had gray hair? Can can we show? Can you show everybody <laughs> what your hair looks like? Yeah. And you're 39, right? Yeah. Thanks. So when did you start turning gray? I got my first I'm gray, gray when I was like uh, 16. Me my too. friend and I was super vain, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And my friend pulled a gray hair what, out of the what back hair, of my what head. What color was your hair before it was gray? Like my eyebrow color, like a darker brown, brown, like a brown, brownish. Yeah, pulled a gray hair out, and I was like, "No fucking way!" And then I just they started sprouting up, and then probably when I was like, "It looks good." You look 30, distinguished. 32 it started just, going full, like real gray. gray. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't really notice it until you know people. Until somebody notices it. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I have gray hair as well. You've um, aged good. We were talking about that. Oh, thank you. Look, man. you know. I used to have people say, oh, you should dye your hair. And I'm like, why? I'm, I'm 51 years old. Why would I? I'm not trying to look like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like 
capture my youth again. It's over. <laughs> like I'm 51. I know I don't look 51, and I don't act 51. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not trying to. I did dye my hair for a minute. If you go on YouTube and just click on, like, type in Ahmed Ahmed Comedian, you'll see clips of me from, like, 10 years ago where I had, like, pitch black hair and sideburns. When it was kind of curly, right? I had big, curly, poofy hair yeah. and sideburns and this weird, like, stupid little goatee. Yeah, don't do that anymore. <laughs> don't do that. I saw that. That's the picture that me and Anya were talking about the other day. Yeah, I, uh, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're, like, coming up in Hollywood, you, you, you I, I tended to, like, you know, want to, like, change my look here and there, right? Keep people guessing, not stay in one lane or category. So how long have you been in Hollywood? I moved, so I'm 51. I moved to Hollywood when I was 19. Okay. Uh, I met Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley. We became instant friends. I lived with Vince Vaughn. Um, and I think Peter was talking about it on the podcast last week. We all lived in this one-bedroom like apartment off of Rossmore, like right there in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was... Technically, there were four guys living there. Myself, Vince Vaughn, Peter Billingsley, and this actor named Marcus Redman, who was on Doogie Howser. This almost sounds fake. It sounds like a sitcom. <laughs> he's, he's black. Vince is Italian, Irish, and Lebanese. Peter is white, and then I'm Egyptian. So we had this weird like cultural pot going on. And, you know, some of us slept on a mattress in the corner. Somebody had the couch. Somebody, like, it was, it was a flop house, basically, for yeah. actors. But probably one of the most like innocent and funnest times I've ever had in my life, because when you're first starting out, you know it, it wasn't so much of a feeling of desperation; it was a feeling of eagerness and excitement and passion. Yeah, I think as I got older, I became a little bit more desperate because you start comparing yourself. Well, how come that person got that, or how come that person booked this, and what am I? And you start playing the victim and shit. But it was a very innocent time uh, back then. And I started taking acting classes. I studied with a cat named Cliff Osmond, okay. who used to coach um, Raul Julia and Armand DeSante. And he was just one of those really, really great acting coaches. He passed away a few years ago. God rest his soul. Um, but he was the sort of foundation of my acting experience. Um, and to this day, I still tap into his technique and the way he you know, used to teach us. Um, and then I started booking little gigs here and there, and I would get like a couple lines on a soap opera. I was on Bold and the Beautiful at one point. Um, and I just would get like little like one-liners or two-liners. They used to call them under fives, under okay. five lines. And then eventually um, I, I started, excuse me, I'm trying to think of the timeline. At one point, I got frustrated with it. I was playing a lot of terrorist parts. And I got booked in my first big movie with Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal, and Halle Berry. It was called Executive Decision. Okay. And I played terrorist number four. I had a number. <laughs> <laughs> and I do a joke about it. You can find it online. I didn't want to audition for the part because I was kind of like already over playing terrorist roles and stuff. And my agent was like, just go in, just just meet the director. It's a big $70 million budget movie. Kurt Russell, Halle Berry, Steven Seagal, John Leguizamo, all these like famous actors were in it. Nice. And I was like, all right, I'll go in an audition. And I didn't, 
I was I was trying to make fun of the role because the lines were really absurd. It was like, sit down, you will obey, or I'll kill you in the name of Allah. You know, it was like that kind of <laughs> shit. And the director looked at me and he goes, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Do it again, but can you give me a little bit more of that Middle Eastern? <laughs> you know how your people are very... And I go, uh, angry? And he goes, yes, exactly. Use that hidden Middle Eastern anger your people possess. So I used my hidden Middle Eastern anger that my people possess. <laughs> and I booked the fucking role. Hell yeah. And my agent called me the next day and she goes, hey, uh, I have some good news for you. I said, what? She goes, you booked that part in executive decision. I go, I was making fun of the role. Like I wasn't audition. I wasn't trying to do it like a real actor. I was just like, yeah. Whatever Hollywood wants to see is a loud, angry Arab. That's what I gave them. Right. <clears throat> and I was like, I wasn't even trying. I was actually mocking the character. I was just, you know, trying to see if they would see past the fucking funniness of it. And they, they didn't. They couldn't. Hollywood thought, oh, this is what this is how Arabs act. Tell so, me. So she goes, she goes, you booked this part. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't think I would book it. The fact that I booked it says a lot about you know, how they perceive Arabs. Yeah. It's disrespectful. I'm not going to pitch in. I'm not going to buy into the stereotype. It's fucking bullshit. I'm a real serious trained actor and I'm not doing it. Tell them I said thanks, but no thanks. And she's like, well, they're going to pay you $50,000 and it's only three weeks of work. And I was like, I was like, where do I sign up? And then, yeah. like a week later, I'm on the set, and I have, you know, I had a big beard at the time and long black hair, and I'm sitting there, and I was homeless at the time. I didn't have a place to live. I was sleeping on like a friend's couch at the time. I can't remember. It was 1995, so I booked this part, and there, and I was getting paid 50 grand, and I think every week, I can't remember what the paycheck after I paid my agents and whatever, but I was making a lot of money, but I physically didn't have a place to live um but then i was working on this big movie on the warner brothers lot so what i would do is and i didn't have time to go look for an apartment i had some money coming in but i didn't have time to go look for an apartment because i was on set every day yeah so what i would do was while we were filming executive decision at the end of the you know filming and they would call it a wrap i would act like i was going home but then I'd go back in my trailer and lock the door. And I remember telling one of the union workers who was like the guy monitoring, he was the guy kind of like, you know, he was the guy that was like administrating, cleaning the trailers and, you know, getting people in and out. And I told him, I was like, hey man, I, I, I need a place to sleep, you know? So can you not tell anybody I'm gonna crash here? He's like, you got it. So I would act like I'd go home, I'd go back into my trailer and I'd go to sleep that night. Yeah. And then I'd wake up in the morning and act like I just got there. So I, was, I lived on the Warner Brothers lot for three weeks in a, in, yeah. a, in a trailer. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. You told me a cool story um, of how you did, was it the casting for uh, Punk, how you got that show? Oh, did I talk about it on here? Uh, no, no. But I think it's a, good, it's a great story. So I was on Punk. <clears throat> You're welcome. Season two. Serious acting. I was actually, I was a good actor on Punk. So I liked what happened it. was, 
there was a time when I decided I wasn't going to play terrorist parts anymore. I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to do it. It's over. Um, I want to be taken seriously as a real actor. And I remember I just kind of gave up. I stopped auditioning. I just didn't, I just didn't have the passion to audition for these, any part for that matter. And I just got past at the world famous comedy store. So I was getting spots a lot at the kind. I, I decided at that time in my career, I was uh, like 29, 30 years old, I think. And I decided I'm just going to be a stand-up comic and just focus on that and put all my energy into that. So I ended up, you know, I was at the comedy store every week and a good buddy of mine, and we should have him on this podcast. His name's Ari Sandel. Okay. And he's a really funny guy. Uh, he actually won an Academy Award for a short film that he directed, he wrote and directed called uh, West Bank Story. I was actually cast to play one of the leads and I couldn't do it for whatever reason. Um, and then it won a fucking Oscar. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. First that, then my Instagram page. Like, <laughs> Damn. So the movie won an Oscar. So he's, he's at the Oscars like giving this speech about how he you know, made this movie. And it was very like, like a tearjerker because it was very articulate and just he was very well spoken and um I, I, you know he he knew he got nominated because he was there but i don't think he thought he was gonna win yeah so he goes and he takes the oscar and maybe when we get him in here he lives not too far from here we'll get him on the podcast soon and have him uh tell his story and it's because it's fascinating and then we'll we'll bring up the clip of his oscar speech um but anyway he called me up one day and he's like hey my friend is an agent, she's an assistant to um, Ashton Kutcher's agent uh, at WME, which is William Morris Endeavor. It's one of the biggest talent agencies in LA. They're, uh, they did the first season of Punked with Dax Shepard and I can't remember, a couple other actors were on that. And they got picked up for season two and they're desperate to find uh, actors. To, to play people. It was so big that they couldn't keep the same actors, right? They can't, you can't keep the same actors. Yeah. Once, once, you know, once you're an actor on punk you know, it's a short-lived, um, it's a short-lived job. You, you're lucky if you could bank a whole season. I, I managed to get four episodes out of it, but nice. then they fired me because I got too exposed. Mm -hmm. But how I got punked was, I said, yeah, man, I'll, you know, why don't you just have her come down to the comedy store and watch me? So I do a lot of characters in my act. I do a lot of impressions. I, I, you know, I'm an actor first. Stand-up comedy came second. Although I'm a decent stand-up comic, I think I'm a better actor. And she came and she watched me at the comedy store. Excuse me. I have a lot of gas today. She, um, she came up to me afterwards and she goes, hey, you were really funny and you're, you're really talented and you, you have great characters you, you do on stage. Would you want to come in and meet the producers for Punked were casting season two and looking for actors. I said, sure. I had a mustache at the time. My hair is short and darker, but I just had like, it looked like a cop, like yeah. a, a mustache a cop would wear or like a porn star. It's like a big, thick, bushy caterpillar on my face. And I walked in and um, Jason Goldberg, who was the executive producer and he was partners with Ashton Kutcher at the time. And an another guy was there, he was a writer. And I sat down, and it was like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm not a morning person, as you know. So I was just sort of <laughs> like, hey, guys, what's up? You know, they're like, hey, um, so, you know, thanks for coming in. 
um, have you watched our show, Punk? I said, yeah. I said, you know, it's really funny. Yeah, I saw the episode with Justin Timberlake and Polly Shore. And I said, it's a really funny, you know, show and a great concept. They're like, yeah, we're looking for, like, you know, actors that can play police officers or firemen or whatever, clothing store managers, waiters. Um, but we need really, like, you know, serious actors. I was like, yeah, I, I, I've watched the show. I think it's great. Um, you know. He's like, well, what do you think? Would you, is this something that would interest you? And I said, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm a fan of the show. Uh, however, I'm trying to create my own stuff and I'm going to be out on the road and nothing against your show, but I think it might be like a little beneath me just because I feel like I've, I'm, I'm creating my own stuff and I just don't think that this is my wheelhouse. But I just want to, to come and meet you guys and say thanks, you know, for for considering me. So uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take off, but you know, thank you and I, I wish you the best. I'll I'll watch the show. And I got up and I walked out, and they were just like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" And I literally walked outside and I counted to three and I walked back in and I go, "I'm just joking. I'll do it." And they're like, "Oh, you just punked us. That's what we want. That's what we want." Oh man. And that's how I got punked. Hell yeah. So the first episode we did was Laura Flynn Boyle. You probably remember her from a show. She was on, uh, what show was Laura Flynn Boyle on? Do you remember? Anybody remember? Oh, no. Let's see. She was on a, she I was on, she used to date Jack Nicholson. And she was on a show where she played like a legal, uh, she, played a, she played a lawyer. Laura Flynn Boyle. Did she come up? Men in Black Two. She was in Men in Black Two. She was the really. Practice? She was in, on the practice. The practice. She was smoking hot back in the day. If you look <clears> at <throat> pictures of her now, she's, she went. God forbid, but she went downhill a little bit. Whoa, whoa, take it easy. She's cute right here. No, that's that's an old picture. <laughs> Google current photo of Laura Flynn Boyle. She just had a lot of work done and like, she just kind of let herself go. Real sweet gal. Uh, I played a like a okay. gay clothing store owner. <laughs> or employee and she walked in and the, the the punk bit was she thought she was getting all these free clothes from this like high-end store in Melrose um, and then we hit her with a $25,000 bill at the end she was like I thought these clothes were for free my publicist and we're like nothing's for free and you know you can, we'll just take your credit card and she's like I, I, I this is my mom's credit. she started freaking out and then we let her in on it the second one we did was Outcast, the band Outcast. Yeah, was it both Big Boy and? Um... Yeah, they were the whole group. They were all. Oh, there. nice, nice. So um, Mercedes Benz gave them a Maybach. Uh, I think it's called a Maybach. It's like one of those big, gigantic Maybach. Like, for, Maybach. Yeah. Big, like classy Mercedes Benz that they loaned to them on consignment, and they went to a party in the hills. And when they came out, the car was gone. But then they, they faked it crashing into a store window. <laughs> so they broke the window and they, they placed this Maybach inside. So it looked like it had gone off the rails and crashed into this thing. And then they showed up. Um, they said somebody stole the car. They crashed into this window. And then all these like responders came, fire trucks, yeah. police officers. And I, was, I played one of the firemen. And it was big. It was like an action movie. They must have spent a million plus dollars on this 
episode. How did they hide the cameras so good? Because it seemed like someone would have saw a camera. No, no, Punk. They had the really great. Whoever their tech people were and camera people, they whoever was producing it, they had a really slick way of hiding cameras. The third episode we did was um, Travis Barker, the drummer from Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, I remember that one. And he played. Um, he was dating a girl that I was. I'm friends with. I used to be friends with back in the day, named Shayna Mokler. Mm-hmm. She was like an ex, like playmate gal, and was in some TV shows and whatever. And they were dating. And she brought him into this restaurant. She was in on it. And I played a waiter who was, the backstory was, I was her ex-boyfriend. So when she walked in, I was like, oh, my God, how are you? She's like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? I'm like, I work here. She's like, wow, it's been so long. And And I put my hand on her shoulder. And I started, like, flirting with her. And then I walked away. and And Travis Barker was like, who's that? She's like, his name is Ahmed. We used to date. And then he said something like racial, like, I can't believe you date Persians. Like, I'm not even fucking Persian. Whoa. Anyway, <laughs> I started flirting with her hardcore. And um, and then she walked away, went to the bathroom, and then I sat down at the table and I was like, Who the fuck do you think you are? And if you want to go outside, we can go toe to toe or whatever. And then he stood up and we were about to fight. And then they Ashton Kutcher came out, hey, you're on punk. And he was just like, he didn't like that. He signed off on it. And the last one that I did that got me fired was we punked Halle Berry on the red carpet of the premiere of her movie uh, Gothica. Okay. And I played a fire marshal that wouldn't let her into her, her own premiere. <laughs> and it was crazy, bro. It was paparazzi everywhere, and her manager's yelling at me. And I just, I just, I held character. I was like, I'm sorry, Miss Berry. I'm a big fan, but there's only, there's not enough seats right now. So you're just going to have to wait. She's like, I'm in the movie. I'm sure there's a seat there for me. <laughs> I'm actually the star of this film. And I said, I understand, Miss Barry, but we got to get people out before we can let you in. And Ashton Kutcher was in my ear saying, make sure you get 25 people out before you can let, let one in. So I'm like, let's get 25 people out before we let one oh, in. I remember that one. And she started freaking out. She's like, I don't understand. Can you get somebody? Can, can somebody call Joel Silver, who was the producer of the film? And he was in on the prank. <laughs> Can somebody get Joel Silver? And I was like, Miss Barry, you just need to calm down. She's like, I know, but I said, look, before 9-11, I was a hero. Suddenly, I'm not a hero. Whoa. She's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> she she was seems really, like a sweetheart. She was, she was such a fucking doll, man. She couldn't have been nice. It's funny. I've worked, technically, I've worked. She didn't remember me because I worked with her on Executive Decision. Okay. Where I had a beard and I played a terrorist. I had a little scene with her in Executive Decision. What'd you say? Uh, we didn't have any dialogue together, but I was like in the, like I was, we would talk like during in between takes and stuff. I didn't have actual dialogue with Mm. her, but we were in the same scene. So I thought it was funny. She didn't recognize me again. I had a mustache. I didn't look like myself back then. So she started freaking out and then Ashton Kutcher's they came out and they revealed that she's on punk and she was like, Oh my God. She started jumping up and down and her boob fell out of her dress um, and they blurted out, but her her Halle Berry's you know titty popped out. Hell yeah! So um, so then after that episode, it got so much attention. It ended up being on VH1's like top forty pranks of all time. Um, so then I get a call from Ashton Kutcher's production company. Hey, can you come into the office? We want to talk to you. So I'm like, oh yeah, sure. I go in. Ashton Kutcher, Jason Goldberg. And a couple of the writers are there. And they're like, look, man, got some good news, got some bad news. Good news is you were great on Punked. 
everybody we did, you you he hit it right out of the park. He took great direction. He took all our notes. He delivered the dialogue. The bad news is we got to let you go because too many people saw the Halle Berry episode. Yeah. And if we do you again, somebody's going to recognize you. And I was like, I'll wear a mask. I'll yeah. shave my head. You know, I'll, I'll get rid of the money. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't want it was a dream gig as an actor. Yeah, and I didn't want to get kicked off the show because you know of a technicality of being recognized. So uh, they're like, "Sorry, dude, we just can't chance it. These episodes cost us anywhere from quarter of a million bucks to a million bucks. And if if somebody recognizes you, it's burnt. We burn all that yeah. money and time and effort we put into it. So that's my story. That's my punked." story that's my hollywood tale basically cool well we're almost out of here anyway yeah what time is it about 355 that that flew by man yeah jack any last words uh, they can't really hear me but oh <laughs> i like the podcast i thought that was a very funny story he, he, he liked the podcast well that is that is my hollywood tale and um oh we do have uh someone in the chat that says fuck hollywood <laughs> <laughs> yes, fuck Hollywood, but we're here and we have to deal with it. Let's um, talk about the comedy store uh, next episode. Next episode, episode five next Monday. Tune in. Uh, I was banned from the comedy store and the Laugh Factory, which are right down the street from each other, within six months of each other. Um, and I'll tell you, let's save that story for next. Save it for next week. But banned from two of the hottest comedy clubs in Hollywood, and banned. Because of comedians who had it out for me, the inmates running the fucking joint. And we know when you're a comic in Hollywood, whoever's hotter at the time works. And um, so that's a great, funny, and sad Hollywood tale, which I'll address next week because we're out of time this week. But go to jamminthevan.com, check out upcoming shows. Go get a ticket for our February 12th show right here at Jam of the Van. It's going to be a fun one. Um, check me out on Twitter, at Ahmed Comedy. You can go to my new Instagram page, uh, at Ahmed Ahmed Comedy. And Blake, what's your handle? Blake.Barty, at Blake.Barty, B-A-R-T-E-E. On Instagram. Instagram. And as I mentioned, we will be in uh, Dallas, Texas, January 14, 15. We'll be in Florida, uh, Miami twice, Boca Raton, Key West, and Naples. Yep. Um, uh, January 17th through the 22nd, I believe. Yep. 20- and then uh, we have Friday. some more dates coming up. And then we're here every Monday at Jam in the Van doing this Hollywood Tales podcast. So uh, tune in, check it out. Also go to the YouTube channel or YouTube page for Jam in the Van and subscribe. And if you want to watch past episodes with Tom Morello, Peter Billingsley, Anya Zova, myself and Blake Barty, please do that. It's a treat to be here. Again, thanks to the staff and everybody here at Jam in the Van. Thank you, Jack Higgins, our creative director. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. And um, that's it. Any last words? That's it, man. You guys rock. Be safe out there. Keep your distance. Wear a mask. Don't get around too many strangers. Stay safe. And Happy New Year. Because our next episode will be in 2022. Yeah, have a happy new year. So have a happy new year, everybody.